Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio. Real herbs, real life, real easy. Now, a word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by Occupy Medical, free integrated healthcare for all, Sundays 12 to 4 in downtown Eugene, Oregon. Over the past decade, access to good herbal knowledge has boomed. With it has come an explosion of courses, schools, and books, all purporting to be good, even those that aren't. Today, we're talking about how to choose your own herbal learning path amidst a sea of plant-based opportunity. Now, here are your hosts, Candace Hunter and Sue Sierra Lupe. I'm Candace Hunter. And I'm Sue Sierra Lupe. And, and welcome, welcome to Real Herbalism, Herbalism Radio. Sue, over the past year or so, I've gotten a lot of questions that have boiled down to really... How do I find a good herbal study path? Yeah, I, I, I get it all the time, too. People, yeah. either they're coming by the clinic and saying, I want to do what you do. How'd you do it? Uh, like, I have an answer for that question. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, God, do you really want to take that ugly yeah. path? Are you I, kidding? <laughs> I, I wouldn't say you don't know what you're doing right now when it comes to Occupy Medical. Yeah. 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 Well, well, there's that. I am, I am doing some pretty crazy things, but I'm I'm still not sure I got here. But also oh, yeah, just that's... just talking about the the herbs, like how do you find how do you find that out, and and really be sure that you know what you're talking about. There's classes out there, and the range in. Yeah. Uh, uh, it first... seems it seems you know from Candace's path and your path and Howie's path and mm-hmm. and uh, Zoe's path and and you know, all the people we have talked to, uh, Candace's the other Candace's path. All different ways to get to the top of the mountain, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. One of the beauties of herbalism is the path is varied. Mm -hmm. And one of the neat things about living in this particular decade is that there are many, many opportunities. There are. I mean, if you go back, you know, even 10 years, there was a lot of stuff out there, but it was really hard to come by cohesive information. You really kind of had to find a teacher. You did. And if you lived in certain areas of the country, finding a teacher might have meant driving for a hundred miles for lessons. It's like living in Iceland. Yeah. Right. Challenging, really challenging. The kind of stuff that is out there really is varied. And the key is to start with where do you want to go with it? Yeah. That is a really good question to answer. And just because you think you have the answer today doesn't mean it isn't going to change. Right. It certainly changed for me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I definitely found myself as I was growing older, being uh, more specialized. I wanted the clinical part. Yeah. And I certainly didn't start out that way. No, I didn't start off thinking I was going to be doing anything regarding herbalism in a public venue. Mm -hmm. I did it for my family and that was that. Yeah. I think in the years to come, we're going to find more herbalism out there. You know, I never would have thought you'd have St. John's Wort sold in a pharmacy Right. I never thought, I certainly didn't think that medical marijuana would ever be legal. I certainly never thought that uh, Walmart would have tinctures on their shelf. I never, ever visualized that, but that's the way it is. And we're going to see it more in hospitals and clinics. How do you get to the point where you're that herbalist helping there? Or how do you get to the point where you're the, the schooled herbalist helping your family? How do you know that the information you're putting out there is is accurate and helpful. Right. There's seems to me there's two broad paths. There's the path of taking classes, getting coursework, doing certificate style mm-hmm. study. Yep. And then there's the 
self-study, which main courts include a few classes here and there, but mostly it's you design your own path of study as you go. Right. And you rely on a lot of books and possibly volunteering or getting to know other herbalists. Mm-hmm. A lot a of lot internet of, sources. And a lot of the experimenting. Risk, a lot of experimenting. The risk of that is that you're going to run down a lot of dead ends. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of research required, a lot of critical thinking required on the self-stored study course. So just yeah. to roll it back a little bit, the first thing that a, an aspiring herbalist at any age should ask themselves is to define what they want to achieve in herbalism. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that herbalism for your family? Is that herbalism uh, practicing in a, in a clinical Public environment? Health, right? uh-huh. health? Or is that having your own sandwich board up and you're going to, you know, Yes. And it's, yeah. do you want to make herbal products? Right. Do you so, want to so do once, magical herbalism? Right. So once they define that, what's their next step? The next step, I think, would be to really decide whether or not self-study or coursework is more your best learning style. And I think it really comes down to learning style. Right. And to some extent, budget may play in there. Oh, the you big know? time, yeah. Because taking coursework can be very expensive. Mm-hmm. It can be relatively low cost, but if it's low cost, you often have to do a lot of volunteer work or a lot of trade work to essentially trade for your right. tuition. Which has its own cost yes. that a lot of people it's a big don't cost. take. They're like, well, I'll just donate my time. How much is your time worth to you? Yeah. Maybe and you do learn. I mean, you learn. You learn a lot by donating your time because you will pick up a lot of experiential knowledge by donating your time. But that experiential knowledge might be how to enter numbers into a bookkeeping program for this professional herbalist mm-hmm. because he or she doesn't have time to do that himself. Right. And the you know? the thing I want to point out to people that are going to be taking these classes is please do not gripe about the or try to dicker down the cost. That person is coming from a wealth of experience. They've done all of this research that you're not doing. Just there, there's so many herbalists and Howie is one of them where we've talked about he, he's doing so much prep work and half of the people aren't, they're not willing to pay the cost. They want to figure out a way to, to cut him short. He's got bills to pay. Right. Yeah. That's part of, I think that's part of choosing what you really want to learn. And I'm not sure if that is a, an, you know, a national or popular. Or just Eugene. Or just Eugene. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Out here, people dicker everybody. Everything gets, gets, you know, can you do it cheaper? Can I do it this? Can I do it that? I think that's the, you know, I think that's a cultural thing here. Um, Maybe I'm wrong, but that's been my experience as well. You know, getting, you know, graphic design clients. A lot of times that's the first word out of their mouth is how can I cut the cost? Right. Do it yourself then. Don't yeah. hire a professional. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, is if you you wouldn't go to the University of Oregon or Harvard or you know any other university or college and, and go into the admin department and say, you know, I really like what you offer, but I want to cut that down in price. Yeah. Is there do any way I can do that? Yeah. yeah. Is there a coupon? Is there a Groupon for this course? Right. Yeah. And no. at that point, they're going to laugh at you. And the same thing with a good herbal school. They're, yeah. they're not going to work that with you. These right. like, this is the cost. This is why. And if you don't like that, I'm sure there's a herbal mm-hmm. school down the block that might work better for you. And that means that you have to value the information that you're going to be getting to. Yes. Well, and that's part of knowing what you want. If you want to become a clinical herbalist, mm-hmm. you probably want to go to someone like Howie or there's many, Rosemary you know, there's or, many yeah. good herbalists out there that are teaching. And when you take a look at their coursework, they should offer a syllabus or another way for you to take a look at what the course description is. What is it going to be requiring from you? Mm-hmm. They require a lot of work from you. 
they're probably going to be giving you a really solid education. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to pay more for that too. Just like you pay more to go to college than you do to go to high school. Right. You know, even a private high school compared to an equivalent private college is less expensive. The Mm -hmm. colleges are more expensive. I wonder if uh, some of the local places or even herbal schools in general allow you to audit a course for a day just to see what the instruction is like what the you know what the class is like you know i know in university you could do that you can go audit a course right i think right. it really varies the think that like ncnm and bastier or places like that auditing that's that's not really an issue but for some of these smaller ones you know if if i was if i had a little school i would not allow someone to audit i would allow them to go to like a a night class for 40 bucks or whatever. Oh, yeah. That would be Have their a drop way in of fee. checking it out. And another way people can, can find out if the class is a bit, you know, would be something that, that would be good for them is listen to some of the podcasts we have out there. We're interviewing some people that have schools. Mm-hmm. Demetria Clark, for example, she's got classes Clark. and schools that Rosemary Gladstar, Rosemary Howie. Gladstar, Howie, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of people. Yes, and Nicole, Nicole, thank you, thank you. I knew there was another one that I needed to remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's got a really well-known herbal school. Yeah, she's fantastic. Where did Candace go? It was in Arizona, but I can't remember the name of it. She went to Nicole. Oh, did she? Yeah. That was the Southwest Herbs? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. I did not know that. We do have a a short list that we're working on on educational places that we like. And if you have a place that – you really liked, you know, can send us a link. We do not promise that we're going to put that on there as a suggestion. We have a short list because we are slowly and painstakingly going through and making sure that it really is something that we, the Practical Herbalist, put our name behind as a good recommended course. So how do I know as a prospective student of any one of these people or any of the people that we haven't mentioned? Because there's a lot out there that we haven't mentioned. Yeah. Uh, How do we know or what would I look for if I was going to go to that school uh, what would be the first sign indicators that I might be in a great place or I might be in a place that is kind of questionable? Well, you want to talk to one graduate. Okay. Yeah. You've actually graduated from it. Oh, gosh. I even get down to the how clean is the environment. Do you mm-hmm. walk into the school or the teaching area and find that everything is neat, tidy, and clean? Or do you find things are pretty haphazard? If people are in the middle of working on stuff, are they following generally a protocol yeah a a protocol of some sort i'm not necessarily expecting them to be scientific pharmaceutical grade clean room Mm -hmm. but i do expect to not find dirt on the floor right outside of maybe plant parts because they're currently working with that plant yeah we're working with an oil yeah exactly (laughs) but you know i don't expect to find a stack of library books in the middle of the table where you're chopping herbs for a tincture or a right. salve. Right. I expect to find that the stove top or the heating source looks relatively clean. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. simplicity, simple cleanliness. Yeah. You know, the rest of that, if it's like many schools are as small as you're going to this herbalist's house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If the private spaces of the house are dirty, it doesn't matter. It's That's where you're actually practicing that it should be clean, neat, yeah. and tidy. Yeah. Things should be organized and put away in some sort of fashion. Mm-hmm. They shouldn't have to be, you don't have to pick up things off the chairs and the table so students can sit down. That should not be happening. The table should be there. The students mm-hmm. should be able to just pull out a chair and sit down. And emotionally tidy is something I'm going to throw out there too. I have Yeah, been, you've run into some interesting ones. Oh gosh. I, in, in, my, <laughs> in my many decades of being herbalist, I've taken classes from people that are not emotionally tidy and they feel mm-hmm. that it's acceptable 
to bully and badger people. Or to tell about deep, intimate secrets about their life you don't really want to know. Like I I just spent 20 minutes hearing about the intimate details of your divorce. Wow, I I do not care, nor do I want to know. I'm here to learn about herbs. Keep your stuff together. And if you, the only way you're going to find that out is by going in and talking to the person, especially if it's just one teacher giving a class or talking to the people that have talked to them, taking classes from them. That's the kind of research that it is uh, looking at, you know, there's lots of resources. You look over somebody's website and you kind of get a creepy feeling like, wow, this is person's more interested in their ego than they are in the plant. Then, you know, I don't suggest that. That has such a price. Yeah. Once you've taken a look at, and I would suggest whether you're thinking about taking a class from someone or thinking about this person's book as being the place you want to start with learning, Mm -hmm. take a look at their website or any interviews that you can get on them. I mean, you don't have to spend tons of time on it, but take enough time to see if the person you're looking at rings true. Right. Yeah, exactly. I have uh, been led down the garden path from teachers before. There's a couple of books that I just got out of my library at some point because like, you know, this this is so inconsistent in its accuracy. I don't even want it here. I don't trust anything else in it. So I just got rid of the whole book because I thought at the time, you know, in the, the 70s or 80s or whatever, that was the best that I could have. And now there's a huge variety of stuff The other thing I want to point out to people is when you're looking at a book list that a teacher is offering, is it just their books? Yes. What is the variety? Yeah, there's that ego thing again. Yeah. So if they're just pushing their own books, it's great to push your books. You know, you wrote it. You should have the confidence in referring to people. But if that's the only thing they're saying is acceptable, if they're not able to look at – if they look at other herbalists as um, competition as opposed to allies – you're going to run into some dangerous water. Right. And it's wise, as in any profession, to take time to do research that includes secondary sources and tertiary sources. Correct. You know, means multiple places, multiple other earth authors saying, yeah, this is how it's done. This mm-hmm. is the properties of this herb. This is, these are uses for this herb. Yeah. If you're getting it from a couple other spots, you're getting better information. Yeah. And if a, if the herbalist that's teaching you can acknowledge the scholarship and hard work of their fellow herbalists, they will also be able to work with you as a student better, that they're used to an idea of respect. Yes, that's true. That's true. And that's a big part of the learning process. If you don't feel like you're being respected, even as a distance learner, you know, then oh, come on, your, your boundaries are going to get pushed up. Right. You know, as a non-course taker, I've, I've really carved out my own course myself, mm-hmm. in part financially, but also in part I, work, I learn well from looking at a book, reading what it has to say, and then applying that knowledge, giving right. it a try. Yeah. And sure, I'm not you know well-versed in the herbs for cancer because thankfully cancer is not something I've had to deal with, but mm-hmm. I don't need to deal. I don't want to be a clinical herbalist, so I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm good there. But I, I like to pick up the books and I like to give the stuff a try, experimenting and taking notes and experimenting some more. And a lot of us, that's how before you know, the last 20 years, a lot of that information was because people heard somewhere that 200 years ago, they used this herb this way and they thought, okay, I'm going to try that. Yeah. Now I'm going to experiment with it more. And that's why we have the wealth of information in print and available through coursework yeah. now because- 
there was a generation of men and women who decided to give it a try. Yeah, and these educational sources, the distance learning, the campus learning, those are really great starting points. But just like you said, the only way to really learn is to do it. Yeah. You know, this is a hands-on field. And yes. I've read a lot of books and can and have the ridiculous mind. I can quote you stuff from there, but I don't really know it until I've done it. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't remember most of the constituents. I mean, when I sit down to write about them, I have no problem getting the correct constituents, understanding the science behind it. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's the experience of doing it and applying it, trying it. Right. That's yeah. what works. Yeah. Yeah. Education is a good start, but you just, you gotta do it. And you're so, going to make some mistakes. How long would it take for someone? Now, for instance, Kenneth, I would say, you know, I'll speak freely here, is that as a practical herbalist, you're constantly learning. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say <laughs> that as day. a clinical herbalist, you wouldn't be constantly oh, learning. Oh, yeah. You, you but, better be. But there's, a, but there's a, there, <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's like going to school for a stand, like a regular degree. You get your degree and then you get your job and then you learn more and you keep learning to stay in your field mm-hmm. and you do the same thing. But right. There's a difference, it seems to me, when you're the self-taught herbalist than when you are someone that gone through a heavy, heavy dose load of, of coursework and then the practical application of it after that plus the learning. So on the clinical side of things, if you're a clinical herbalist. Right. Two-year certification is two general. Years, yeah. Just a two-year – I say just. Mm-hmm. A yeah. two-year certification. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else typically? Um, well, it depends on what you're going for, but most of these programs are like the Columbine School of Botanical Studies is mm-hmm. a two year and there's a whole bunch of, you could take classes for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Any you field. Will. Yeah. Yeah. You will. As an herbalist, you will never be the master of herbalism no. ever, ever, ever. There's just too much to know. And as it's used more and more openly and that, there's going to be more to learn. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I said with Candace, I mean, you've been doing, you've been constantly it seems like learning and and i won't say the same rate but what it seems like for 10 years yeah you know pretty much uh, i I know that running the practical herbalist has done a lot to keep that going for you for sure definitely but even before that i mean i read herbal books and books on topics relating to herbal practices including things like fermentation or i'm reading radical mycology it's 450 pages right and that's not including like the appendices and all of that yeah you know i read that kind of stuff cover to cover and i usually read at least four or five of those a year and i usually try a minimum of four or five pieces of that right hands-on yeah Yeah, I, i i find what's interesting to me and then i give it a try like my crazy mushroom tea yes i was yes. gonna say well, like that crazy mushroom tea you just put in my mouth if anyone's been following you this week it's the crazy mushroom tea it's the mushroom banana bread we just had uh-huh. it's the uh scoby for the thing that you're working yes, on the great it's, diy scoby it's, you know, yeah, the mushroom juice i mean you really you know and you've been posting yes. that which is fun to see you go through that book and yeah. i'm looking thank forward thank you peter mccoy yeah yes. i'm looking forward to that <laughs> podcast as well and that brings up a good time to say hey It's time for an ad. So here's a word from our sponsor. Occupy Medical is a free street reach integrated health clinic that demonstrates by example that healthcare really is a human right. We're an all volunteer clinic of doctors, nurses, herbalists, and others working together to heal the community. What kind of donations are you guys looking for? We need vitamins, herbs, socks, toothbrushes, and of course, good old fashioned money. You can find a complete list of our needs and contact information at occupy-medical.org. 
Occupy Medical is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And now we're back. So we're back talking about uh, where we left the last conversation was Candace's crazy mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm constantly learning. I mean, honestly, I'm constantly learning. I'm picking books up. I'm reading them. I'm practicing what I find in there and I'm adapting to my own circumstances. Mm-hmm. So sometimes... They're asking for things that are beyond my technological capacity given the household I live in. Right. So I either adapt it or I look for other people who have done that. And then once I find the other people who have done it, I either see if I can get in on it and and even just come and help out in the lab or whatever, or else I just talk to them about it. Yeah. I think it's also advice to pick up an herb a year. Oh. Every every year, pick yeah. up a new herb and try it. For me, lemon verbena has Very been good. Yeah. my new herb this year. Yeah, I do it more like every two months. I find a new herb to research mm-hmm. and I read as much as I can on it. I mean, yep. like the Rose Book. The Rose Book, sure. I mean, I'm in the process of reading that one too, although I set it aside for a couple of weeks so I could do mycology. Yes. Then I'm going to come back to the Rose Book. and That's like a 400 or 500 page book too. And there is a, a difference in the learning style pieces where I, I am a bulldog and will chew on something for a painfully long time, which makes me really fun to live with, I can tell <laughs> you. But with you, you'll pick things up seasonally. Yes. Things pay. I pick them up. I set them down. I pick them up. Mm-hmm. I set them down, which is part of why for me, every couple of months, a new herb or deep diving deeper into an herb I already know is important. It's got to change regularly because that's my personality. I think yours for you, one herb a year is perfect because yes. it gives you an idea to an opportunity to get to know it a little experiment, read further, dive deeper and you get to know it really, really in depth by the end of the year, and, and you're incorporating, yeah, and you're incorporating it into formulas the whole way. So you're seeing how it plays with all the other kids on the block. Yes, the kids <laughs> on the block. Yeah, is the interest in uh, lemon verbena from our conversation with Howie and Zoe that one night? Yeah, a little bit, and and I then after they said it, then I was I was hyper vigilant. And was looking for it, okay. and I did a little bit more research. I mean, I've read about it. It's not like I didn't know the point oh, I understand. before. I understand. And then about that time, I started getting an ear infection, which is the one of the fun things my uh, my body enjoys reminding me about. And so I looked it up. And went, oh, this would be good for an ear infection. Tried it, and god damn, but they weren't right. Yeah, nice. it really is okay, actually good I've... for an ear infection. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Now I have to change the rating on the podcast. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> Sorry, I swore. She swore. I swore. I said a swear word. Is there an herb for that? I don't know. There there is not an herb for swearing. I've tried everything I can think of and it just doesn't. It doesn't work. Nothing. It doesn't work. The anti-swearing plant. Yeah. The different forms that the one I'm on right now is lemon verbena elixir. Oh, that's an elixir. It's got some sweetener in it. Oh, okay. It's like a tincture with sweetener in it. Ah, so cocktail. Kind of. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. I, I put that. <laughs> Living for being a cocktail. Well, gee, that's hard medicine to take. Yeah, oh, my I know. God. <laughs> I might have a martini glass. But yeah, it, it, I put the the herb in there. And it, you know how when you're making some herbs, you need to add a little bit of glycerite to bring out some of the other properties. Yes. And in this case, you're just increasing the glycerite. So it, it lemon for being already tastes pretty good. But adding that, I just want to see, is, is it different when you're adding more of, I added some honey to it. 
Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. So it's very, very tasty, very yeah. easy to take. And I'm figuring this is the kind of thing to give to a child that's got an ear infection. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked really well. And the next one is to add a couple more pieces to see if I can hit a sinus infection with it at the same time. Nice. So I'll just fun. keep adding bits and pieces to that. I, I imagine that. Are you growing cayenne, it? Are you growing I it now too? am. I now am. Good, because yeah. next the, year I'm going to get a trimming from you and start my yeah. own. Because I almost got it into my garden this year, but I ran out of gumption and so space. So funny thing, I went to a garden shop way before they really had their plants out. And they had like last year's spindly growth. And they had a, a pot of lemon verbena. And it was just a stick with a couple branches. <laughs> nice. That sounds I think I like, like exactly right for, for you. <laughs> oh, look, the poor corpse of a plant. I think I can revive this. And the woman that slowly says, you know, she, she knew me because uh, I know everybody apparently. So, you know, so this is looking really dead. Like, yeah, but scratch it and you can see there's some greenness under there. <laughs> I, I think I can revive it. And there are leaves on it. There are leaves on it. Put it in. I put Honey, it in a you pot. Could, if it was just a stick, you would have been able to revive it. I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> zombie master Sue. Yeah. Zombie plant master. Zombie plant master. Yeah, don't try this at home with uh, humans. Yeah, but that it's growing. It's looking real pretty, and yeah, nice. And I only okay. paid fifty cents nice. for it. Bring okay, it back around. So, so what we've learned. So bring it back in. So what we said was. The, the learning has two different, really two different ways of going, and it's, but it's lifetime. You'll never really stop earning. Right. But the clinical two-year program will give you the awesome letters behind your name. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for a, a, a position, a job, something like that, that's yep. going to be where you're going to That's going to be. And why, some of these are fly-by-night herbal schools. Oh, yeah. There's authors who are a little... Yeah. And to be quite honest, I'm very particular in my clinic on who I'll take in as even an apprentice, as a clinician. Because people have brought me certificates. Like, I I don't know who that person is. I don't know. I don't know what you learned. I've never heard of the school. It means nothing to me. Which has got to be frustrating. It sure should. It It absolutely should. Especially if you spent a lot of money getting that certificate and a lot of time and energy getting that certificate. Yeah, and I feel bad for them. But, you know, when I'm giving people a tour of the clinic and and they're looking at the shelf and they don't even recognize half of those plants or be able to tell me what they're really for. Then they're not going to be helpful. They're not going to be helpful. Right. You don't have time to teach them. Fill in the gaps. Yeah, they're yeah. they're going to come through our clinic and get. It's going to take about three months to get to the point where they're ready to fly on their own with the with a patient. And that's assuming they've got all assuming that knowledge under their belt. Exactly, and they're spending a lot of time just filling bottles and and shadowing people. And you know, even people have come to us with you know a huge all these certificates. They've taken multiple classes. They've got paper, 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 they're paper trained, shall we say, but they, who gets to work in a clinic? Who are these people? I can count them on my fingers on one hand. Right. You know, they're not very many. Right. You know, everybody has to be trained. I had to be trained. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, that's a tough one. It's okay. a tough one. Well, you will I mean, never be the master. But that's what we're talking about. It's not yeah. like, um, you know, there seems Again, correct me if I'm wrong, that there's these accredited institutions. Yeah, we don't have thus far. And honestly, I don't know if we really want accredited institutions. But at the same time, you know, when you start standardizing things like that, it, it, there's advantages there's advantage and disadvantages. Yeah. Sure. And I have to say, as a self-taught type of person, I don't like the disadvantages that come with that. Mm-hmm. What it does to the rest of the field for the rest of us, which is why I'm always on the fence about standardizing and 
letters behind names and all of that. Right. But I also see there's a strong value there because that kind of structure also drives people or can drive research, can drive people to push themselves harder and make a better, you know, make, make themselves better herbalists. Well, not only that, but if yeah. someone comes from a school that's a, an accredited herbal school to the clinic, so you can say, oh, I know that school. Right. It's, it's a known entity. It's like, you don't have to tell me that Stanford is a known university. It is a known university. So right. I, have, I have a degree from Stanford. I already come with the support of that university behind me. Well, and it means so, that you, from a place like that, like from Stanford, you've got a certain ethic, right. a certain type of research you've done and know how to do. Exactly. You know how to function in a specific type of environment. Yes. So and that's what So those are be, advantages. Yeah. If you're working in a clinic, I should be able to just, when you walk in the door, tell me what a uh, healthy blood pressure is. Give me the numbers. If you can't even do that, a simple basic thing, and herbalists have come through, they don't have that answer. Right. They, they better go back and get some more information. Hmm. So next, the big thing would be cost. What is right. someone going to be looking at on this in a ballpark? And that's know? a huge range. I mean, even if you're planning to go down the certificate and coursework style learning, it can range anywhere from a few hundred dollars into the thousands of dollars. Right. Just for your two years worth of certificate, especially when you start including things like travel time that's necessary. I mean, some programs like Howie's, I know he has field research times where you go and you're going to spend an entire day in the field, not necessarily in our backyard. No, you have you to know, drive you, to it. you might be driving two or three hours, then spending the day in the field and then driving two or three hours home and then putting together a research paper or helping to process herbs or whatever. If I mean, you have kids... Little kids, that's really yeah. difficult to you work can't, Yeah, you can't bring children along in that environment for sure. I mean, no. I'm sure people have done it. They've got a kid in their backpack or whatever, but it's really, it's really it's unprofessional. hard to do. To be honest, it's unprofessional and unfair to the other students. Yeah. Because not, not that children are bad, but they're a distraction. And if you're spending that kind of money to get an education, I mean, would you show up to a class at Harvard and expect to see a bunch of moms with their kids yeah. to, when you're studying you know, business economics? You don't expect to show up to business economics class and have there be children in the people's, you know, sitting next to you. That's not right. You know, I finished you know? <laughs> my last year at the University of Oregon with newborn Dylan uh, and I had to go to the professors individually saying he was, he was born a week ago. Your right. class starts tomorrow. I have, I have nothing. I need right. to come either cancel this class right now or I need to come and sit in the back with him. And, you know, at that mm-hmm. point, he was basically a larva. So. Yeah. yeah. I was say, there's not <laughs> as much long as he's not screaming. It. But, he, nope, no. but it's it's the, you know, you don't it's expect crazy. to see a toddler. Nope, sure don't. Or a baby who's old enough to be screaming Running and squirming yeah. and, you know. Yeah, it was, so, it was anyway. really, really hard. I, I wish can I imagine. had been able to do it another way. Yeah, I can imagine. Does cost denote quality? Not necessarily. Mm. There are some really big name herbalists who make buckets of money and they are not necessarily good herbalists they're really good at marketing and they've got great personalities or big personalities and some of the stuff they put out there is like scary wrong scary wrong some of it is a little scary wrong you're right there's also big name herbalists who are absolutely fabulous and there are herbalists who get paid barely anything and are amazing at what they do so if there was like four questions 
or the top three questions or whatever, you were going to tell a prospective herbalist student that's going to be picking a school, what would they need to get answered to have any kind of a good idea as to whether the school they're looking at is going to be good for them? Do you have an idea? Just start with the base. What do you want from it? Right. Uh, what What is the diversity in in the curriculum? Does that match yeah. where you want to go with it? Uh, and how oh, much do they expect of you? And can you put that into it? Yeah. You know, if are there obligation? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to give them the level they're expecting? Yeah. Because so, one thing that you get with age, if you will is the ability to realize that when you're going out for a job or for a school and it's an interview and they're interviewing you, what people don't always realize, especially when you're young, mm-hmm. is that you're interviewing them too. It's a it's a match. So when you go to a job interview, that's when they say, do you have any questions? That's your chance to find out about them. And oftentimes we get so um, – so happy to be there that we forget that we're supposed to talk to them and ask them what they're. Yeah, we're so like. happy we made it this far in the interview process. Oh my god! Right? Yeah. So that <laughs> we don't do those that due diligence and ask those questions. So when you're going to look at a school and you're interviewing the, the instructor or whatever, ask those questions because that's your time. Once you're in the program and you've plunked down your thousand dollars, two thousand right. dollars to get your golden fiddle to get your yeah. yeah. And you don't like it, then what? Another important piece to think about is ethics. Do they talk about wild crafting? Do they talk about how you should or should not use specific herbs? There are plants that have been touted as great herbs. And then the results of that have been that unethical people have driven them into the Oh, what's the name of that list? Not the plant savers oh, list. The United, not the United Plant Savers list. Maybe it is that one. The one where the, the endangered plants. Yeah. yeah, endangered, protected. At risk. And at risk plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get driven onto those kinds of lists because. They're overharvesting. Exactly. And the people that are doing that are either themselves just, they, they decided to be unethical and did that. Or they've learned from someone who didn't say, we need to take time to pay attention to how these plants were are in the ecosystem, how they are in general. Do not assume you're the only person that knows about this. Yes. You bring a group of 20 in to a place to show a rare and beautiful plant, figure all 20 of those people are going to be just as impressed by it, and they're going to bring in more people. Yes. And will they be as impressing upon everyone they show that you do not touch this plant, you leave it alone? We appreciate it. So, you know, questions about ethics and do you use the same? Do you use cannabis for every single thing that it could potentially be for? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. You know, there's a lot of range that a given herb might be able to help. A lot of different people it could help, but certain people won't be helped by it because it's not the right herb yeah. for them. You need to think about ethically what's right. right or not right for each person. Look for exclamation points. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Big bold. Wow, this is the best super wonderful ever. You're you're getting lied to. Well, and do they take the time to talk <laughs> about line. ethics and and philosophy and, and do they take the time to actually just talk about that in the coursework? Yeah. And I'm not talking about, you know, Descartes or Descant, Descartes, Descartes ethics. Kant and all oh, of yeah. those those philosophers. I'm talking about, you know, just practical everyday ethics are they talking about that as part of their coursework because yeah, you're choosing someone who's supposed to be wise yes 
So yes. it, yeah. So you're if not you're, looking for a circus barker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a lot. Does that does that answer that question? You well, think? I think so. But it, it was that was that thing where if I'm going to go to a school, what would I ask? What would I look for? What would I need to know? And I'm interviewing them. Yeah. Is there anything else you both can think about when it comes to looking at herbal schools and schools and books? I mean, for the books, the same thing. You know, just take a look at your authors and see mm-hmm. if they are generally feeling right. You know, does it feel right? Are they generally ethical in what they're suggesting people do? Are they larger than life or are they actually, you know, actual size? Yeah. And look at at the fine print. Yes. And look at the fine print. There are some, unfortunately, people out there that they'll have a series and they're selling it like, well, there's this three month series that you can take. But what we really want you to do is sign up for the full year. And they will push and push and push. And that's disrespectful. Right. And it's tiring. It's It's wasting your energy. And if you don't, and this is what I keep hearing from people, if you don't sign up for the full year, you're going to be treated very badly in that class, unfortunately. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. And that's, it's not a one-time thing. It happens all over the country. So watch Mm -hmm. for the small print. Look where the big pushes are. You know, it's great that people have the right and the obligation to to try to sell their program. If they believe in it, they're going to sell yeah. it. But there's a difference between selling something and bullying people into it. Right. It's, I mean, honestly, many, much of this is common sense, sure. no matter what you're trying to study, whether it's herbalism or woodworking or, you know, basket weaving. Sure. Talk whatever, to other you know. people, find out what they know about the person or the school. Get If you just get one bad review, big deal. Right. But if you yeah, get a slew of us, don't base a restaurant on a one bad review and don't discount an herbal school on one bad review. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, there's so and, many and things. And weigh the source too. You know, you if, you're, source. if you're talking to your friend who happens to be a very head in the clouds kind of person who does really well with lots of facts, mm-hmm. doesn't do as well with experience, and they're complaining that the school expected her to actually make a tincture and it had to actually have the right ratios and everything. Yeah. Well, right. If you're not, if you're better with experiential stuff, that school might be perfect for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. consider your sources too. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some people might be in good schools. They actually <laughs> expect them to pay their bill. Yeah. Gee. <laughs> Stupid adults. <laughs> no. Uh, for more information about the educational sources that we mentioned here and some links and resources we mentioned in this program, go check out realherbalismradio.com and you can. Sign up for our free newsletter, which includes recipes and how-tos and ebooks that we wrote for the Practical Herbalist. There's detailed information on the topics we discussed here on this project, on this podcast. Check us out on Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter. This show is brought to you by Hunter Creation, helping you find print and online marketing solutions that fit your needs. Visit them at huntercreation.com.